Good evening, everybody, on this uh, Father's Day evening. Thank you again for coming back out tonight. I was pleasantly surprised a few minutes ago. Uh, a friend of mine that was I met down in Mariana, Florida is with us tonight. hope you don't mind me pointing him out, but many of us who were on that mission trip will remember Brandon Eves. He made his way over here from Cleveland uh, today. I guess it's where you still are, aren't you? From Cleveland, so right, so it's close enough. And uh, he's, he's here with us tonight. Good to see Brandon. Good to see each and every one of you. You know, Glenn, i got to make a confession. Um, that song, when I was a kid, always used to scare me. Because when I, before I knew any different, I thought there was an actual bomb, B-O-M-B, in Gilead. And I said, I don't ever want to go to Gilead. Because I thought there was a bomb, a blow-up bomb in Gilead. But as I got older, I realized it's bomb, B-A-L-M. And I thought, huh, makes more sense that way. But uh, anyhow, good to be here. Thank you for coming uh, tonight. And uh, let's talk a little bit about ignoring God tonight. Now, that may seem like an odd subject because there's so many things that you see in life that would cause you to remember that there is a God. And, and that is true. And there's so many things that we can, can think of maybe that remind us each and every day. Some things that we see on the street, some things we see on the television, whatever the case is. Or maybe you're reminded by family members or being here at worship. Whatever the case is. There are several reminders that there is a God, and we need to listen to Him, need to follow His command. But there are examples, when you look through the Bible, of people who took it upon themselves to ignore God, to do their own thing, and in many cases suffered the consequences of such. The first example we want to look at tonight is in Genesis chapter 19, verses 12 through 14. Now, this is a very familiar passage, but there's, but there's a part of this. It's not just the fact that God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not just the fact that, that uh, there's, there's going to be destruction and, and Lot and was trying to get his family out of there, but, but there was a, a warning put out for people to get out, for people to follow, people to go, and they, they mocked and scoffed and laughed. And in Genesis 19, verses 12 through 14, Lot even went to his son-in-laws. It says, And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides? Son-in-law and thy sons and daughters and whosoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out. And he spake unto his sons-in-laws, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-laws. Now can you imagine, much like we Christians and preachers do today, we warn you. We warn a group of people, and we should warn ourselves that there's coming a day to where there will be a great destruction. Where there will be a great destruction of this earth, and those who are faithful will be called up to meet the Lord in the air. And I understand that we read that in the Bible, and there's nobody in 
this room, this auditorium today or tonight, that would deny that. But I know there's people in this auditorium that are lost. And I know there are people in the world who are living lost. And you make that warning and you make that decree, listen, the world is going to be destroyed. And you are going to be destroyed with it if you don't get up and get out of this yoke of bondage you're in, this lifestyle of sin, this lifestyle of being without God. All you've got to do is get up and go with us. We know how it happened. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, and many met their doom. Not only at that moment in, in the Scripture, but, but we find... In 1 Chronicles 21, 1 Chronicles 21, in the first 17 verses, you read of a man named David. Now, when we think of David, we automatically go back to the stories we just studied here last week of David and Goliath and defeating the giant and doing great things and marvelous things. And you fast forward into the the New Testament, and David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. And you look at that example and you say, surely, aside from the big thing that overshadows a lot of that, is, is David and Bathsheba. And we look at that and say, well, we, we don't really want to think about that bad thing. Because it is so much good. And he did. I'm not taking away from David at all. He made mistakes. But one of the most senseless mistakes that we have recorded that David made was in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. He was wanting to take a census of the children of Israel against the advice of God. Joab, his servant, pled with him and begged him not to take a census because God had told him to advise him against it. Well, nevertheless, the the king's word prevailed against Joab in verse 4. And we see that as he went and took that, that Gad came to David and said to him in verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, because of, because of his ignoring of God's wishes, because of his doing things on his own, there were consequences. And in verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, Choose thee, in verse 12, either three years famine or three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while the sword of thy enemies overtaketh thee, or else three days of the sword of the Lord even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coast of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself, what word should I bring again to him that sent me? So do you want famine? Do you want, you're given a choice here, David. Do you want famine? Do you want to suffer at the hand of your enemies? Or would you rather a pestilence or a sickness plague the people? What, what do you want? There's no other option. One of those three things are going to happen, and you get to choose what's going to be well the pestilence is what came about and some 70,000 people were destroyed he was told to make this right to go into the threshing floor and by the threshing floor of Aaron the Jebusite in order to stay the pestilence of the people and he did that he went and Aaron tried to donate the threshing floor and he said no no I'll not do that he said, I will buy it. I will not offer anything to the Lord of that which cost me nothing. There wasn't going to be any gifts here. 
he wanted to sacrifice to the Lord. Now you look at that example and you say, well, you mean a man named David, surely, surely God wouldn't care that, that if he took a census of the children of Israel, what's the big deal, right? Well, it is a big deal because he was told not to do it. Now how many times do we look at our lives and we look at our, maybe our shortcomings or our failures and we say, well, it's not really a big deal. But is it? Friends, let me ask you, let me tell you something. If you don't already know this, let me remind you. And if you do already know this, then great. But anything that you do that separates you from God is a big deal. There are no light areas. There are no, it doesn't matter. It does matter. It's a huge deal. And if you sit in your life and you sit there and you know you're living in sin, you say, well, God look over that. Friends, he won't. Because God has given each and every one of us the opportunity to make it right. He's given us divine wisdom here in the Scripture to get us from point A to point B, and we continually do our own thing, much like David did. We continually ignore what God has said, much like Lot's son-in-laws did there in Sodom and Gomorrah, and we continue to throw blatant disregard to what God has said. And the sad thing is, Christians do the same thing. And I'm not picking on anybody in particular, any group of people in particular. I'm talking about myself too. We know things we shouldn't do, do we not? And what do we do? Exactly that. Things that we know that are wrong. Things that we know that are separating us from God. And we sometimes as Christians say, well, it's going to be okay. Friends, I'm telling you, that's not a road you want to go down. That's a, not a road that we as Christians should even entertain. What about in Numbers chapter 20? In Numbers 20, now, you want to think about simple instructions, okay? In Numbers 20, verses 7 through 11, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak you unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So, so, shalt, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beast drink. How simple is that? Not even any effort, but just to take a breath and speak to the rock. Tell the rock, hey, bring forth water. You say, well, that's pretty easy to do. But, oh, Moses, man, these people, they complained, they griped, they were never satisfied. And Moses was so frustrated and in a moment of anger, took the staff and smote the rock. Water came out. And all was great, right? All was wonderful. The children of Israel and the beast and the field and all those things got to drink of the water that came from the rock. And God was pleased. 
Because surely in a moment of frustration and anger and, and aggravation that he wouldn't hold that against Moses. It's Moses. All he had to do was speak, but he smote the rock. And you say, that's so... Why didn't he just talk to it? Well, I don't know. Why aren't we obedient? Some of the simplest things that come our way and we do it. Why aren't we obedient? It seems simple, right? It seems simple and it should be simple. Moses took the rod before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered together the congregation before the rock. And he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Moses lifted up his hand with his rod. He smote the rock twice. And water came out abundantly in the congregation and drank, and their beasts also. Again, great deal. But this sin and this rebellion and this ignoring the command of God kept Moses from going into the land of Canaan. You mean to tell me that God would take something so minute, something so small as just the difference in smote and speak? They both begin with S, Glenn. S-M-O-T-E, S-P-E-A-K. They're five-letter words. They both begin with S. Surely God's not going to hold that against Moses of all the good he's done. Surely God won't hold it against us that we commit one little sin, yet we twist one little thing around, and it doesn't matter because God's going to overlook that. He's going to let us go into the promised land and be fine. Friends, how many more examples do you need? It's a lot easier to be obedient from the get-go than it is to try to rationalize in the latter. Because of his sin, because of his ignoring, because of his disobedience, Moses did not get to reap the benefits of the land of Canaan. He got to see it. And that's it. Oh, man, I'll tell you. I wonder how bad it's going to be for us if we continue to go through this life and ignore God and throw blatant disregard to what He says. You know, the Bible tells us, or actually the Bible doesn't, but the song tells us just one glimpse of Him in glory with all the toils of life repay. If we're in heaven... Absolutely. And I don't really know how it's going to be at the end. Aside from what we read, we understand the great destruction and the eternal fire that burns is never quenched or the worm dieth not. We have that description and it's, it's gross and it's scary and it's fearful. And you look at heaven and how great and wonderful and prepared it is for those who are faithful. And I wonder sometimes if part maybe of the punishment of hell is being able to see what you missed. Not reaping the benefits of it, but being able to see what you missed. Granted, this is not uh, anywhere close to in comparison, but some of the people my age may remember a band, Everclear. Remember Everclear? No? Just me? Okay. Well, they played at Riverbend over here. And I knew the guy who was working the stage, and he had backstage passes. I mean, we were going to get 
not just up there. He's not, we're not talking like on the stage, you know, because there was that specific place for people who could buy tickets to get on the stage. No, 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 no. Backstage passes. Everclear. Big band that nobody knows but me, apparently. And they were so excited, there was five passes. He said, come over here, load your car up, let's go. Bring them on over. We got down to a friend's house. We were supposed to leave at 5.30. We got there at 5.25. He was just now in the shower. And I thought, what are you doing? I'm the one that's always late. And I'm on time. What are you doing? We didn't leave his house till 6 o'clock. The drive to Chattanooga plus Riverbend traffic, we got there 20 minutes after the show started. And we sat there at the gate and we watched people use our passes because after the, after the show started, they were invalid. We almost came back one friend less because we were so upset, we were so angry, we were so aggravated that he had all day to prepare for this. He had all day to prepare for this trip and he waited till the time to go to start getting ready. And you're like, we have a chance to meet a seemingly now unpopular band. And you blew it for the rest of us. Outside looking in. It's aggravating me, Glenn. It's still a touchy subject to me. But I look at that example and I, th I think to myself, you know... My friend had a day to prepare to go watch a band, backstage passes, to meet the band, to get autographs, to get pictures that might make the difference. You might recognize if you've seen them. And we missed it. And how angry we were. People have a lifetime to prepare for eternity. And they're throwing it away. can imagine I can't imagine I'm not talking standing outside of a gate and looking into people using our tickets I cannot imagine just thinking about how awful that was being able to see maybe just even the entrance to heaven and knowing that I've wasted a lifetime and I wasted not just one day, but several hundred days and several thousand opportunities. And I'm standing in the pits of hell with no hope. And we're okay with that. What are we doing? How much can we ignore God? How much can we and how long can we ignore what God has said? In regards to salvation. I don't understand. I, I don't get it. And I can't wrap my mind around the thought of such a thing. In Genesis 16, 17, and 18. God made a promise to Abraham and Sarah. He said to Abraham, or Abram, I will, build, I will raise a nation from your seed. 
Sarah was after the age of childbearing, and she laughed within herself. You remember how the story goes? And things weren't working out, I guess, to their fault. They said, we know we've got to have a baby now. We've got to start now. How, why is God waiting? Why is God dragging this out? So Sarah says, you know what? I'm going to give you Hagar, my handmaid, and you can have a seed through her. You can have a nation through her. She'll be the one to bear your children. She'll be the one to start your nation. God didn't promise it to Hagar. God promised it to Sarah and Abraham. But because of their ignoring, because of their own selfish thought, we'll do it differently and we'll make sure that we do what God wants anyway, right? We're going to have a nation. That's not what God said. That's not what God promised, you see. Sarah gives him Hagar. Ishmael is born. Then later Sarah bears Isaac. And many biblical scholars go back and say this is what we know as the beginning of the feud that's still going right now. I don't know. It could possibly be and it could possibly not be. But one can certainly make that argument. I can do it myself. I can make my own decisions. I live my own life. I have made myself successful. Some will say, my good looks will get me to the top. My popularity will get me there. I'm smart. My intelligence will provide my path to success. My strength will be my success. I'm rich. I'm popular, I'm this, I'm that. I, me, my, and mine. And many times, in ignoring God, we, in essence, make the claim spiritually, I don't need Him. Some of us say, I don't need Him. Now, you won't verbally say that. I don't know of anybody in this auditorium and even, even that believes in, the, in, in God at all would say, I don't need Him. Friends, I learned something a long time ago. Actions speak a lot louder than words. And when we live our life contrary to God's Word, we live our life contrary to what God has told us to do. If we live our life trying to do it on our own, disregarding the promises that God has made to us, we in essence say, I don't need Him. So we ignore. We turn a deaf ear and a blind eye. And we go through life hoping for the best and hoping that someday, maybe, just maybe, we will stumble into heaven. Friends, let me tell you this and be as loving as I can. If you get nothing else out of what I'm telling you, you will not accidentally go to heaven. It won't happen. It won't happen. 
You're not going to live your life rebelling against God, and that's what it is. If you're not willing to obey, it's rebellion. There is no gray area, okay? There's no straddling the fence here. If you're for God, you're with Him. If you're against God, you're ignoring Him. That's, that's the way it is. It's cut and dry. And if we live our life contrary to God's Word, and we get to heaven, and that gate, and that judgment, and God says, well, you've done a lot of good things. You've been nice to people. You've helped people. Matter of fact, you, <laughs> you've, done, you've done more personal work than a lot of people claim Christianity than I've seen come through here already. I'm just going to ignore that you never were obedient. Come on in. That's not how it's going to work. Christ didn't die for a chance. Christ died for concrete. And He's given you and me the ability to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we can become a Christian and live faithfully and make it to heaven without worrying about things of the earth, without worrying about things that, that people have to inject in there to kind of dumb down or twist or misconstrue Scripture. We have the Word of God. And it tells us, in order to make it to heaven, you must be in a saved condition. There are no accidents. And friends, I'll tell you this too. You're not going to accidentally go to hell. Because if you're not preparing for heaven, you're preparing for the other. You're purposely making a decision on one or the other. You're not floating around. You're not just like a feather on a breeze. If you continue to ignore the invitation and you continue to ignore the commands of God, you are purposely rebelling against God. And if that's harsh for you, I'm very sorry. But I'm going to be honest with you. It's a responsibility we have as Christians to be real, to be honest, and to tell you the truth. And that's just the way it is. You know, again, we rely on ourselves so much. Many, like the rich young ruler, in Luke 12, everything's going good. Everything's great. He don't need God. Well, if we don't have a proper relationship with God... I'm afraid things just aren't going to work in our favor in the end. You see, in Luke 12, verse 13. Luke 12, verse 13. And one of the companies said to him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who, who made me a judge or divider over you and he said to them take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consist, consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth and he spake a parable unto them saying the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully and he thought within himself saying 
What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns, I will build greater barns, and will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say unto my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall all these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, we want success. We want privilege. We want all the things that make us go round and round in the world. We can't have those things in the way they should have them if we don't have God. And you look out and you say, well, I don't know about that, Bradley, because, because I see a lot of people who are successful and they're not Christians. Yeah. You know, Satan also offered the kingdoms of the world to Christ. He didn't take it. Well, now a lot of people now are good people do a lot of good things, but they, they're not Christians. I don't recall that Uzzah was trying to be rebellious when he reached out and touched the ark to steady on the car. But because of his disobedience, he was struck down dead. Surely God would honor that, right? Surely God would overlook that as he was just trying to do something seemingly honest to keep the ark from falling off the cart? It won't work. Now we can continue to sit here in this life and we can continue to go each and every day and we can throw blatant disregard to God's word. I won't even go that far. Because there are good people who live righteously, basically, but are not Christian. And they're all around us, in this community, in this county, in this state that we know. There's a lot of great things, but they're not Christian. Now, we can exist in that if we want to. We've begged and pleaded with those people. Those who are living lost, we beg and plead with them all the time. From the pulpit, from studies in Bible class, we talk to them sometimes privately, where, you know, when we find ourselves with the opportunity, but they still won't do it. Friends, God's not going to honor just good intentions. The only thing that Bible, the Bible tells us that God will honor is full obedience. Stop ignoring that concept. And this goes for those of us who are Christians too. God tells us to live righteously, to be faithful unto death in order to receive that crown of life or righteousness. It's promised to us. Stop ignoring that. I tell you the same thing that Lot told his sons-in-laws. 
up. Let's get out of here. Destruction is coming. Are you ready for it? And if you're not prepared to go into heaven, then you're prepared for hell. But it don't have to be that way. Stop ignoring the pleas of the Scripture. Stop ignoring the invitation of God. Stop ignoring that long-winded preacher who stands up there and tells stories about a band that nobody's ever heard of. and to baptism doth also now save us. You can live like that if you want to. But you've been told. And there'll be no excuses when you stand before God. And I know everyone here, again, I scanned the crowd just like I did this morning. There's nobody new. We know. And there's no excuse. Stop ignoring what you know you must do. If you are in a lost condition, having never ended obedience, take care of that tonight. If you've done those things, but you fell back into the world, take care of it tonight. Ask for the prayers of those that are faithful and be restored. Stop ignoring God. Please. You have an opportunity to make it right right now while together we stand and while we sing.